Find your place in your Bible for just a few minutes this morning at the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're in a series of messages that I've entitled simply Jesus. We have had so much complexity, so much conflict, so many difficulties to have to deal with over the past year that I wanted us to come back to the fundamentals and the most important fundamentals, simply Jesus, to declutter our lives, to refocus ourselves, and to be reminded that this is all about Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at his ways and his works. We're looking at his interactions. We're looking at his teachings. We're looking at what the Gospels have to tell us about this person, Jesus. In the last message, I introduced you to a woman that's found here in John chapter 4. She's an unnamed Samaritan woman. We're not going to read all of this chapter, but I do want you to follow with me, if you will, for just a moment down in verse 35 to verse 38, because that's where the focus of this message for the next few minutes will be. Jesus speaking to his disciples who have just returned from getting food in order to feed Jesus and all of themselves. They've just come back from Sychar in the territory of Samaria, and they find Jesus speaking with this unnamed Samaritan woman. And the result is that this woman goes back into town and she brings out a great crowd of people to meet Jesus as she had met Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, and hear the words, lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white to harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that, he, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Let me take just a few moments and help you to come up to speed with where we are in this story of this woman. This is an unnamed Samaritan woman. She would have been considered by almost everybody of that day to be one of the outcasts of society. She would have been somebody that would have been a throwaway in that society. And yet Jesus saw in her the value of her soul and that she desperately needed the gospel that he alone could give her. He saw her, if you will, for what she could be through his grace rather than only what she was because of her sin. And because of that, Jesus comes to Samaria, comes just outside of this city of Sychar, and he has this encounter with this Samaritan woman that's found in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. Just to get an understanding of how difficult life would have been for her in first century society, men generally did not speak to women in public. Even their own wives, they generally didn't speak to in public. There was even a group of rabbis that were known as the bruised and bleeding rabbis. That's no joke. 
the bruised and bleeding rabbis. And the reason is because this one extreme group, if they saw a woman coming out of the corner of their eyes, they would quickly close their eyes and refuse to look, believing that if they looked on her, they might somehow be defiled by her. And the result was with these closed eyes, they would walk into things and they would walk off of things and they became known as the bruised and bleeding rabbis. I realize that that's an extreme, but just to get an idea of the normal pattern of that day, would have required that Jesus courteously withdraw to a distance of at least 20 feet, indicating to her that it was both safe and culturally appropriate for her to approach the well. But Jesus breaks the social taboos of that day, and he enters into a conversation with this woman in an uninhabited place without any witnesses who were there with him. And so you obviously see that Jesus had no trouble looking at this woman to see her and to see her real need, nor did he have any trouble engaging her in a public conversation that she so desperately needed. In addition to being a woman in the first century, she was a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were a race of people that were despised for the most part by the Jews, and the Samaritans despised the Jews in return. Nearly 700 years before, the Assyrians had captured the northern kingdom, and when they had done so, they transplanted Gentiles into the area where they had removed many of the Jews, and there was intermarriage that took place, and thus grew this race called the Samaritans. But in addition to that, there was animosity beyond that. 300 years before this story unfolds, the Jews had destroyed the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. And as retaliation, a little later, the Samaritans came to the Jewish temple and they brought dead men's bones and they spread them across the, the temple grounds for the purpose of defiling the temple. And they did this right at Passover so that the Jews couldn't keep, couldn't keep their feast. And the result was there was animosity at one point in Ezra chapter 4, it says that the Samaritans were even viewed as the enemies of the people of Israel. And this woman came from that race of people. Not only did she have this issue of being a woman and how she was treated in that day, she had the issue of being a Samaritan woman on top of it. And yet we hear the words of Jesus in verse 4. Just notice them again in verse 4. Jesus says he must need go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. In other words, in spite of all of these strikes against her, in spite of all of the difficulty that faced her, in spite of being in society, one that would have been looked down on and possibly thrown away, Jesus says, I've got to go through this city. I've got to go through this territory. And the reason he needed to go through Samaria, he had a divine appointment with this Samaritan woman. And in addition to this Samaritan woman, he had a divine appointment with many of the Samaritans who would ultimately come out to meet him and to hear him for themselves. In other words, he looked past the racial tension and that past animosity to see the, the true spiritual condition of these Samaritan people. But there's one third strike against this woman. She also was looked at as an immoral woman, even by her own people in Samaria. She had been married five times, and she was living with a man who was not her husband. 
And this woman was obviously trying to find satisfaction, trying to find what was missing in her life through these various relationships, and she had failed time and time again to the place that she became known as this kind of an immoral woman. She didn't understand that what she so desperately needed was what Jesus says in verse 10 of chapter 4, the gift of God. Like the water that she came out uh, to that well on repeated occasions, sometimes I'm surely daily, coming out to get that water out of that well that could never satisfy her, the relationships into which she entered never could satisfy her. She was missing something in her life, and what she was missing was what Jesus offered, the living water. That living water that would be like a well that would well up within her and would spill over and would uh, become water for others that they could drink and they could find that living water, but she didn't have that. And all of those relationships were like that water pot that had to constantly be filled up, but they always emptied themselves somehow, didn't they? And she found herself a woman who was despised. As a matter of fact, the text reveals all of this to us. If you look at chapter 4, verse 7, you'll notice that this woman comes out to the well by herself. Verse 7, a woman, not a group of women, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. You understand that that was very unusual in the first century. Women would normally travel together to a well like this. Not only was there a safety issue of them traveling together, but there was also the matter of helping each other. This water placed in that water pot would be, very, would be very heavy. It would be difficult to balance. It would be tough to get it probably on top of her head in order to be able to carry it back into town. And yet this woman comes out on this day all by herself. You know why? No other woman wanted to be around her. Not just the men that looked at this woman in negative light. Not even the women wanted to be around this woman. They didn't want to be with her when she went out to the well. She herself wondered why Jesus was speaking to her and talking to her. Will you look at verse 9? Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Even she recognized that animosity that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And when the disciples of Christ returned, having been into the city to buy the food that they were going to eat, and they saw that Jesus was talking with this woman, look what it says in verse 27. And you begin to see what was in the hearts of even the disciples. He says, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? And that phrase would basically be put like this. Do you want us to shoo her away? What are you here for? Why are you here? Or why are you talking with her? In other words, the disciples and the questions that were unasked questions, but questions that were in their own hearts, maybe asked amongst themselves, nevertheless revealed the attitude of people toward this woman. And it's interesting, I think, in verse 28, that when she goes back into the city, she goes back and she speaks to the men of the city, to the men of the city. Now, it's possible that what she was doing was speaking to the leaders of the city, wanting them to come out and see if Jesus is who he says he is, who she says that he is. 
Or it may be that she was so despised by the other women that the only people who would listen to her were the men. But all of these things, when you start and you look at them and you start adding them together, you begin to realize that she had a very difficult life. And she shows us something that we don't want to forget today. She shows us how Jesus actually saw people. He didn't see them as women and men. He didn't see them as Samaritans and Jews. He didn't see them the way others saw them. Jesus saw her as one who needed his love and one who needed his grace and one who needed his mercy. He understood that his mission was greater than the traditions of that day. And can I just tell you something? He never broke God's law. Jesus never broke God's law, but he didn't hesitate to break the societal traditions in order to reach people that needed his love, even Samaritans, even Samaritans. And so what we see is Jesus coming out to meet this woman, this woman coming out to meet Jesus who is traveling through that area, and we see this interaction taking place And he's teaching us something so very, very important. In the previous message, we saw a contrast between passion and prejudice. Passion for people and prejudice against people. We saw a contrast between enthusiasm and apathy. Her enthusiasm and the disciples' apathy. We saw a contrast between the eternal and the temporal. Jesus had found a a, a food to eat that satisfied him. And the only thing the disciples could think about was the bread that they had brought from the city. But today we see one more contrast, but that contrast is more of something that's complementary. The two work together more than they contrast with each other. Because where we picked up the text today in reading in chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus talks to his disciples about the subject of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Now, we all understand that concept, right? I'm a city boy. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. The grass I saw growing, for the most part, was a little bit in the front yard and the backyard and what grew up between the cracks and the concrete. I knew nothing and know nothing much about farming. But I know enough to know that there has to be sowing and there has to be reaping. It's a process that everybody who understands anything of of agriculture uh, has to know and has to understand And Jesus talks to his disciples about sowing and reaping because as he looks up, he sees this crowd of people that's like a field of wheat that are moving toward him. And he wants the disciples to see these people. He says, lift up your eyes and look. Well, I would to God that I could get every believer in Jesus Christ to lift up his or her eyes and look at the people around you. Stop looking at the things that are distasteful, the things you dislike, or the things that maybe disgust you, and recognize that these are people who desperately need the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. See them like Jesus sees them. Isn't that what our purpose statement is? To make disciples that live and love like Jesus? to make disciples that live and love like Jesus who see people in spite of all of the strikes against them and recognize that their greatest need is the need of the gospel. And Jesus begins speaking to his disciples, beginning in verse 35, about the subject of sowing and reaping. 
Both of these are important, aren't they? And both are rewarded. Both require labor. If you sow without reaping, the harvest rots and it wastes. But if there's not any sowing, then there can't be any reaping. The sowing may not be as rewarding as the reaping, but there's no reaping without the sowing. We need both. But you can't have the second without the first, right? There has to be somebody to sow. There have to be those that will reap. But what Jesus says here is that everybody is rewarded. And the fact of the matter is all of us love to reap. I love to be able to talk to somebody who's ready to be saved on the spot right now, this moment, right? The fact of the matter is that we have to be willing to sow the seed of the gospel if we're going to be able to reap people for the kingdom of God. There have to be sowers, and that's where I want you to focus as I bring this message to a close. I want you to focus on this matter that God is calling us to be sowers of the gospel of Jesus, and every one of us has to look at the field and recognize the opportunities that are before us, and we have to lift up our eyes and look for the opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. William Barclay, with whom I have some disagreements, but in this particular case, he says, it's given to many to sow, but not to reap. Many ministries succeed not by their own force or merits, but because of some saintly men and women who lived and preached and died and left an influence which was greater in their absence than in their presence. Many have to work and never see the results of their labors. And then he goes on to tell this story. I was once taken around an estate which was famous for its rhododendrons. Its owner loved their acres and knew them all by name. He showed me certain seedlings which would take 25 years to flower. He was nearly 75 and would never see their beauty. But someone would. No work for Christ and no great understandings ever fail. If we do not see the results of our labors, he says, others will. There is no room for despair in the Christian life when it comes to the matter of sowing and reaping. We've got to have sowers. We've got to have reapers. But there can't be any reaping if there's not sowing. We've got to be sharing the gospel, looking beyond the things that prejudice against people, prejudice us against people, and recognize that their greater need is the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus talks to his disciples about sowing and reaping. It's what we've been trying to get you to do for these last several weeks is to take that little card that we've been giving you and we'll give you again today if you wish to have them. And to have you to begin looking up and seeing people and recognizing their need of hearing the message of the gospel story so that you will begin to sow the seed of the gospel. Sow the seed of the gospel. If we don't sow the seed, there can't be any harvesting, right? Right? If we don't sow the seed of the gospel, there can't be any harvesting, and we can't leave it for somebody else. Every one of us has to take responsibility for sowing the seed of the gospel. One of the great Baptist preachers in England is a name that you probably don't know. But if you go Google his name, you can find him and you can listen to him and you can listen to him preaching. He died in 1985, but you can listen to him preaching. No video, audio only. And anybody who can speak with a British brogue has a sense of, uh, you, it just sounds smarter, right? 
just because they speak with that British accent. But this Baptist preacher's name was Francis Dixon. He pastored a church called the Landown Baptist Church in England. And one evening he asked for testimonies. He asked specifically for two testimonies. And in the giving of those two testimonies from two different men who had been saved, he heard similar stories from these two men who were both British sailors. They'd never met each other before. They didn't know each other at all. But both of them had been in Sydney, Australia, and they were approached by a man with a question. And the question went like this, young man, if you were to die tonight, where would you be, in heaven or in hell? Both of those young men that encountered that question given to them by that man in Sydney, Australia, came back to England, and ultimately they both came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Francis Dixon led one of the men himself to Jesus. His name was Peter Culver. On an occasion, Francis Dixon and his wife were going to go on a preaching tour in Australia. And he resolved to investigate this matter to see if he could find out more about this man. He wanted to know who was this unconventional street evangelist and how many other people had he impacted by his ministry. It didn't take him long to find out. After preaching in a large hall in Adelaide, in Australia, Reverend Dixon related the story of these two sailors from England. And when he did, a man sitting next to his wife, the host, whom they had just met before the meeting began, they didn't know anything else about him, began to wave his arms in the air, began to try to get attention. And he says, I'm another. I'm another man who talked to that man in Sydney, Australia, who that, who that man talked to me. His name was Murray Wilkes. And Murray Wilkes had come to faith in the Lord Jesus. He said that he was running to catch a tram, and that man asking, young man, if you were to die tonight, where would you be, in heaven or in hell? And two weeks later, he gave his life to Jesus in one of the army barracks. They traveled to Perth next, and Francis Dixon again shared the story of those two sailors in England who had given their testimonies. And a man approached him afterwards and said, I became a Christian as a consequence of that single sentence that was uttered to me by that man on George Street in Sydney. And so when Francis Dixon finally got to Sydney, he had determined he wanted to find this man, if at all possible. And so he asked a Christian friend, his name was Alec Gilchrist, if he knew this man. And Alec said, sure, I know him. I know him well. His name, his name is Frank Jenner. And Reverend Dixon asked to see him, and they went to his very humble townhouse. He told Frank Jenner about these four men that he had heard who had responded to that simple question that he had asked. And Frank Jenner, with tears in his eyes, fell to his knees, and he prayed, Oh, Lord, thank you for tolerating me. Jenner confessed that after speaking to 10 people a day for the previous 16 years, this was the first time, he said, he had heard of any lasting results. He went on to say, you know, I never heard that anyone I ever spoke to had gone, for, gone on for the Lord. Some made professions of salvation when I spoke to them, but I never, ever knew any more than that. It was the circumstances of World War II that had spurred him 
to become so aggressive in speaking to others about their soul. He had seen the effect of the atomic bomb in, in Japan, and it heightened his sense of urgency. He was a man who was dealing with his own physical problems. His weakness, physical weakness, was apparent. He said that he would pray before he would go to someone and ask that question. He would pray, God, I can do all things through you that strengthens me. Please strengthen me now. And it's estimated that he spoke to more than 100,000 people, sowing the seed of the gospel. Just a month after meeting Frank Jenner, Francis Dixon was in a Methodist church in Keswick, England. And he was preaching, and after the service, a man came up to him who worked for Mission to Mediterranean Garrisons. And he said, I too was challenged by Mr. Jenner, and now I'm a soul winner doing this work myself. And four years later, while ministering to missionaries in India, Reverend Dixon found another convert from that George Street, Sydney. She had responded to Mr. Jenner's challenge and offered her life for service in India. In all, Francis Dixon himself knew of 10 people who had come to Christ as a consequence of the influence of Frank Jenner. And if he spoke to more than 100,000 people, I wonder how many more there are. I wonder how many more there are. Do you get my point? My point is that we have to be willing to sow the gospel seed. We have to be willing to talk to others about their eternal soul. And today I'm going to give you a card that looks like this. Lift up your eyes and look. Lift up your eyes and look. There are people all around us who need to know Jesus Christ, and it's our responsibility to sow the seed. You may get to harvest as well, but we've got to sow the seed of the gospel. And I'm going to ask you to take this card home with you and write at least eight names of people that you want to see come to Christ this year and with whom you will share the gospel of Jesus. And when you come next week, I'm going to ask you to hold it up with the names that are written on it the people that we want to read, that we want to reach with the gospel of Jesus. Listen, friends, lift up your eyes and look.